Hey, what's up, everybody? Hey, where are my Family Matters fans at? Come on. You remember that show? Yes. It's like my favorite show from the 90s. I don't mind telling you. TGI, I've always looked forward to watching Family Matters. Uh, and we're going to talk more about that in just a minute. But, uh, yeah, I just want to welcome everybody to Life Chapel. I'm Brian, the lead pastor here. It's good to see you today. Uh, thank you for being here with us. And uh, we're continuing our series today called I Love the 90s. And what we're doing, we celebrated our ninth anniversary just a couple of Sundays ago, and we've just uh, been commemorating it uh, for the last couple of weeks with just kind of a fun way uh, to do that. And we're in this series called I Love the 90s, and really it's just a series about life and family. And each week of the series, we're highlighting a different family sitcom from the 90s that, that we love. Last week, we highlighted Home Improvement, and I gave you uh, four questions. If you were going to go to God and ask for advice on how to improve the culture in your home, I gave you four questions that I think God would give you to, to think through. And if you missed that message, listen, I, I want you to be sure and go online and listen to it this week. Uh, I, I just feel like the content that we gave you uh, last Sunday can really help anybody no matter where uh, you are in life. So make sure that you check that out when you get a chance this week. But today as we continue the series, obviously we're focusing on another iconic uh, show from the 90s, as you just saw in the video, the show Family Matters. And uh, you know, the, I loved this show as a kid. My kids love this show now. They ask to watch it. In fact, Brianna, just a couple of weeks ago, asked to watch Family Matters, and I was like, yes, absolutely. I feel like we're doing something right. We're raising these kids right. That's all I got to say. But Family Matters, you know, featured a wonderful family that was led by the husband and father, Carl Winslow. And I think Carl is my favorite TV dad of all time. It's probably between him and the dad from Fresh Prince. It's, they're, they're really close right there. But Carl was a cop with the Chicago PD in the show. And quick side note, he also played a cop in the greatest Christmas movie of all time, Die Hard. That's right, Die Hard. And <laughs> in case you're not tracking, Christmas is in 92 days. Just want to throw that out there. I'm not counting, but... But Carl, in the show Family Matters, was a cop, and he worked hard to provide for his family, which included his wife, Harriet, and his three kids. And also living, them, uh, also living with them was Carl's mother, a lady by the name of Estelle, and Harriet's sister, Aunt Rachel, who was a single mom and had a uh, small child named Richie that lived with them as well. And so you got a lot of people in this house, and with that many people in the house, it created a lot of chaotic storylines for sure. But it also created some really great heartwarming family moments. As you saw in that intro video, they were a family on TV that liked to have fun. And there was a lot of dancing in the house, which, by the way, I'm just going to tell you, I think that's a sign of a pretty healthy home. A lot of dancing in the house. I saw a sign the other day that I really liked. It said, this kitchen is for dancing. And I was like, man, I want that in my kitchen because, hey, if you don't break out into dance every now and then in the kitchen, like the whole family, I'm just telling you, you're missing out on something. That's, that's pretty great. Um, I wholeheartedly endorse that. But uh, I love this family in Family Matters. I love the dynamics in the house. I love the way Carl leads his family. I, I love to watch this show. There's a lot of spiritual elements in the show as well. I really love the family dynamics in Family Matters. But you know what's really interesting about this show is that the family is not the star of the show. The neighbor is, Steve Urkel. Check out this guy. He's the star of the show. He's the neighbor kid that lives next door. And if you've watched the show, you know about Steve. But if you've never seen it, you don't know what I'm talking about. If you were born in like 2000 or later, you're like, I don't even know what, what this is about right now. But let me tell you, Steve 
was an annoying kid, okay? And by annoying, there was a lot of things that was, I mean, you can look at him and just kind of tell the vibe you're going to get from this kid, right? But, you know, he had this high-pitched voice that kind of sounded like nails on a chalkboard, you know, something you don't really want to listen to. He was intrusive in almost every episode. Steve is going to come through the front door without knocking. He's just walking in. Uh, that's just the way he does it. He's oblivious. He's just one of those guys that's kind of in his own little world and oblivious to what's going on around him and the people around him and what they're doing. He just comes in and inserts himself into a very serious conversation that's happening. Uh, oblivious. It makes me think of um, a kid. I'm, I'm coaching football um, this year, and we're actually in the championship game this week. Come on, somebody. We're going to bring it home. Middle school football. That's what I'm talking about. I've really enjoyed coaching, but I, you know, I was coaching the kids up a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, hey, I want you guys to really pay attention. I was trying to show them something, right? You guys remember the Armor of God series when I was showing you how to block and all that? That's what I was trying to show them, like how to, how to improve. I was like, I want everybody to watch me. And so I look up, and there's this kid in the back, and he's just completely oblivious. He's going like. I was like, hey, Alejandro, you want to get with the rest of the team here? trying to help you. But that's, that's kind of how Urkel was, just oblivious. Like, hey, I'm trying to coach you up here. That's how he was. He's just oblivious to what's happening around him. Urkel was also extremely accident prone. He made mistakes. He made a mess out of almost everything he touched. And he had this famous quote that he would say when he messed something up. He would point to it and say, did I do that? <laughs> yeah, you did, Urkel. You know, but with all those flaws, if you watch this show, Steve Urkel also had this uncanny ability to somehow make life better for all of those who knew him. And Steve is the annoying neighbor who becomes the star of the show because this incredible family that already had their hands full, that already had a lot going on, that already had a lot of reasons just to kind of shut the doors and, and lock them and be like, Steve, you can't come in here. They took time in every single episode to make Steve feel like he was part of their family. And in the end, they were all better for it. And so today what I want to talk about is I want to talk about making our neighbors the star of the story. And I want to give you three ways that we can do that, three ways that we can elevate our neighbors. And here's the first one. I think we can elevate our numbers when we love them where they are. When we choose to love them where they are. This is exactly what the Winslow family did for Steve. No matter how annoying he got, no matter how many mistakes he made, no matter how many things he messed up, they chose to continue loving him in spite of all of that. There's a truly eye-opening truth that Jesus taught us in the book of Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 34. This is what the Bible says. It says, first of all, the Pharisees got together. The Pharisees got together. And, and, and look, that's never a good thing when the Pharisees get together. You know why? Because they're no fair, you see. They're no, you get it? There it is. Here it's, oh, it's coming now. They're no fair, you see. But seriously, every time the Pharisees got together and came at Jesus, it was not to learn something from him. It was not to honor him or get to know him. It was to try and trip him up. They were trying to get Jesus to say something controversial. They were trying to get him to say something costly that then they could use against him. And this time was no different. They got together. And look what verse 35 says. It says, one of them, an expert in the law... Sounds like a great guy. He tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
This is the first and greatest commandment. But now watch this because Jesus isn't done yet. He adds verse 39. He says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now I want you to think about what Jesus was really saying here. What was the point he was trying to make? This is what I think the point was. I think he was saying how you and I treat others is just as important to God as how we worship him. That's why I said it's eye-opening. It's it's mind-blowing to think that, that God cares about how you and I treat one another as much as he cares about how we worship him. It's a profound truth that Jesus gave us there. And what's so great about Jesus in the Gospels is that he was a man who practiced what he preached. He didn't just come down from heaven to the earth and give us a bunch of rules to follow and command us to go do it. Just, you know, go be religious. Go do whatever it takes to do what I've given you to do. No, he demonstrated with his own life what life is supposed to look like for all of us. Worship God. Yes, absolutely. There's nothing more important than that. And let me encourage you, if you've come here today and you have not made God first in your life, if he's not the one you worship with your everything, let me encourage you to do that today. Make him the Lord of your life. Make him number one. Choose to love him with all of your heart and all of your mind and soul and strength. Live your life to do his will. That's first and foremost. And I promise if you'll do that, your life will dramatically change for the better. Make him first. No question about it. But also love your neighbor as yourself. Elevate others. Add value to people. Make a positive impact and a positive difference in their story. And see, Jesus did that. When you read about his life, whether it was the woman caught in adultery that they were about to stone in the street for her sins, or the guy that was known as Legion that had been completely rejected and ostracized by society, no matter who it was, over and over and over again, what we see in the Gospels is Jesus walking into their story in their darkest, most regrettable moments and extending love to them right where they are in that moment. Think about it. He entered our sinful, broken humanity, and he invited us to step into his world so that we could experience something different, a world of love instead of hate a world of compassion instead of apathy, a world of grace instead of condemnation, a world of mercy instead of judgment. Jesus elevated everyone around him by choosing to love them right where he found them. And listen to me, church, we are called to do the same thing. We are called to love others, our neighbors, with the same love that we ourselves have received from our Heavenly Father. One of the greatest stories that demonstrates the way that Jesus did this is his interaction with a guy by the name of Zacchaeus, uh, a.k.a. the wee little man, right? Who grew up singing that song in Sunday school? I'm not going to sing it for you. But you, you know the song. He was, a, he was known as a wee little man. How would you like to be known that way? Like, that's what people know about you. Oh, there's Zacchaeus, the wee little man. Like, he's little. I mean, he's really little. We call him wee little. I mean, that's really, really little. That's how they knew him. And the story is found in Luke chapter 19. I want you to look at it with me, and I want you to see how Jesus extends love to him. In Luke chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, let me stop right there and tell you why that information is significant. It's significant because you need to know tax collectors were absolutely the most reviled and hated people in all of Israel back then. 
The people hated tax collectors for two reasons. One, they were Jews who were working for the Roman government. And the Jews in Israel viewed the Romans as an invading, occupying force in their land. A people whose presence on the land was literally an abomination to God. So they viewed tax collectors as traitors both to their nation and to God. They hated them for that. And here's the second reason that the people hated tax collectors so much. It was because the Roman government gave tax collectors permission to take more tax from the people than what was actually required. That sounds kind of familiar for some reason, and I'm not sure. Not going to get into that today. (laughs) But the more, watch this, the more tax they took from the people, the more kickbacks the Roman government would give the tax collectors. So when it says in verse 2 that Zacchaeus was wealthy, you have to understand that he got wealthy by stealing money from the people of Jericho, his own neighbors. His wealth was acquired from kickbacks that came from their taxes. And so now you can start to understand why this man was so hated. Taxpayers in Israel were known to be the worst kind of sinners, the worst of the worst. Zacchaeus was definitely a man that nobody liked. Nobody wanted to be around him. He probably didn't have any friends except for other tax collectors. And, you know, they would probably get together with their calculators and just do things like that. It's just not a good time at all. Come on. (laughs) He was an outcast in society. And honestly, there's a pretty good reason for it. That's who this man was. But let's keep reading in verse 3. Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. He probably heard about him. Jesus has been doing a lot of miracles all through Judea, and he wanted to hear about this. He wanted to see this guy he'd heard about, so he wants to see Jesus. But because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. I'm just telling you, man, that, that just jumps out at me every time. The guy was short. Don't forget that about Zacchaeus. And if you're short today, I just want, to know, I want you to know there's grace for you. There's mercy <laughs> from God. <laughs> so Zacchaeus ran ahead And he climbed a sycamore fig tree so that he could see him. You can imagine what the people thought of that as Jesus was coming his way. And so when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this, and they began to mutter among each other. It's never good when the people begin to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, what's amazing to me is Jesus did this literally in every town he came to. It was like, let me find the outcast. Let me find the one that nobody thinks is worthy of my presence. Let me find the one that everybody's thrown out, and let me spend some time with them. And every time the response of the religious people is the same. Oh, the horror, the shock that Jesus... This man of God would spend time with somebody like Zacchaeus. But now look at what the result of this was. Because Jesus chooses to hang out with him in his house, no less. And look at verse 8. It says, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. And then he said these words, he said, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now I want you to notice this because verse one of this passage said that Jesus was only passing through Jericho, but it's almost like he passed through Jericho to get to Zacchaeus. It's like Zacchaeus was the reason he had to stop in Jericho in the first place. 
because he has this knack for finding people that nobody else wants and nobody else cares about and extending a love to them that radically changes their life. And that's what happened here. That's the best part of the story. We see a crazy transformation in Zacchaeus' life. Just from being with Jesus, it was a radical shift in him, a radical change in his life. He was not the same man after Jesus entered his house. I wonder what kind of radical change we might see in our families if we invited Jesus to come and hang out in our house too. But we see this radical transformation, the extension of love from Jesus, and then a radical change. We see it with almost everybody Jesus comes into contact with. He extends love, and there's an immediate change. There's transformation. Think about it. That woman that was caught in the act of adultery that we talked about earlier, she was not stoned to death because of Jesus. Instead, she was given mercy to go and not go back into into the life she was living before, but to go and sin no more rather than be killed for her sin. Legion, that guy we talked about, he was set free from all of the oppression and all of the evil he had been living under. And watch this. The change in Legion was so radical that the people who knew him in the town were literally scared of him. He looked so different. He sounded so different after Jesus got done extending love to him that they were scared of him. They were like, who is this guy? This is freaking us out. The woman at the well in John chapter four, you remember that story? Jesus came to her and when he sat with her, she found forgiveness from her past, healing from her shame, and she found a new life calling all from one conversation with Jesus. And right here, Zacchaeus experienced salvation through true repentance. He made things right with everybody that he had wronged. By the way, that's how you know the repentance is real. When you make things right, you see the fruit of repentance. Look at that last verse in the story again. Verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This verse is so important because what Jesus is doing here in his own words is he is stating his mission, the reason that he came to the earth in the first place. This is why he was here. Watch this. Zacchaeus was why he came. He came to seek and to save the lost, the least of these, the outcast, the unlovable, the deplorable. Jesus came for them. And guess what? As followers of Jesus, we're called to the same mission. We are here at this moment in time to seek and to save the lost. How do we do that? We do it just like Jesus did. We find a neighbor and choose to love them right where they are, regardless of where they've been, regardless of what their story is. We do that, and when we do it, we actually fulfill the law of Christ. And see, this is where so many of us mess it up so often. We choose to be selective with who we extend love to and when we choose to extend it. You know, it's not hard to extend love to somebody who's got it all figured out, right? It's not hard to love somebody who's got it all together. It's not hard to to love somebody who shows up in your life and they're a good and decent person and they've got everything worked out and everything straightened up. And it's easy to love people like that. But, But watch this. Jesus never sent anyone away telling them that they had to get it together before they could have what he came to freely give. He came to freely give it without any preconditions. And once they had received the love and grace he was offering, watch this. That's, that became the very thing that transformed their life. See, this is what I wanted to remind us of, church. People cannot change themselves, but the love of God can change anybody. So we don't stand in judgment wishing somebody would change and become a better person. 
The Bible says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. We meet them where, the, where, where they are. We love them with the love of Jesus, and then we watch God work in their heart. That's what we're called to do. We're called to love people with the same love that Jesus loved people with. And I want you to look at something Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 34. Look at it. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know who you are. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples. If you love one another. We're called and commanded by Jesus to relentlessly, compassionately, intentionally love the people around us. With the love of God, it's the same way he's loved us. Jesus took this short, hated man named Zacchaeus. He loved him right where he was, and he elevated him, and he made him the star of this story. A guy up in a tree. The reason Jesus came to this town is this guy that everybody hates. That's what Jesus does. The Winslow family took the loud, accident-prone, nerdy neighbor kid next door that nobody liked, and they chose to love him where he was and elevated him over and over and over again. They added value to his life and made him the star of their story. <laughs> Let me ask you today, who is God calling you to love like that? Who in your world right now is God calling you to elevate and add value to? Who's the neighbor, the coworker, the family member in your world right now that just more than anything else, they just need to know the love of God? Remember, it's his love that changes people. We can introduce them to that life-changing power that's in his love by simply choosing to love them. When we choose to love people, listen, it's Christ in us that's loving others. It's, it's not a love that you have to come up with and build up and, and find somewhere. No, if, you, if you're walking in the love of Jesus, the love of Jesus is what comes out of you. If you're walking in his grace, it's the grace of God that comes out of you. Let me give you another one. How can we elevate the people around us? Number two, we can guide them towards Jesus. We can love them where they are, but then we can guide them towards Jesus. When you choose to love others, especially people that aren't used to receiving love like that, they're going to want to know why. Where does this love come from? And your answer, plain and simple, is it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And see, there's a spiritual hunger in everyone. There's an innate desire in every single person to know God, or at least know the answer to the questions surrounding God and their purpose and their meaning in life. I believe the way we treat others should make them hungry to know the God we worship. And I think that's why Jesus told us in the order that he did that once we've settled the questions in our own heart and mind about God and he becomes the one that we love with everything that we are, next, let's work on loving our neighbors. Why? So that through that love that we extend them, they can come back to the God we worship. Serving as a spiritual guide that leads people to Jesus. Listen, that sounds probably a little bit intimidating, but I just want you to know it's, it's not reserved for just the pastors or just the church leaders. This is something that we're all called to do. If we're actively engaged in following Jesus, I believe that God wants to position us to act as a spiritual guide for others to help lead somebody else to him as well. I believe in this calling so much that it's actually written into our vision statement as a church. There's a whole paragraph about it. 
I want you to look at this with me. We are a church who is alive and on mission. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we make a difference. We lead people who are far from God to the place where they can experience his love. We look for ways to add value to humanity. We are givers of grace. We develop, mentor, and invest in others so that their lives are enriched and their potential is unlocked. This is why we are here. This is who we are. We're here to serve as spiritual guides that help other people take steps towards God. And one of the best ways that we can do that is actually by engaging with people in what I call spiritual conversations. And let me say again, I think for a lot of people, spiritual conversation, that immediately sounds intimidating, but it's really not. A spiritual conversation is just a conversation that includes God in it. I've been having spiritual conversations for the last several weeks with one of the guys that I coach with in middle school football. I didn't know him until the season started, and uh, he's, he's never really been into church. I think his family has, a, he grew up in Texas, kind of a Catholic background, and um, just not interested at all, just ne- nothing in him ever wanted to go to church. And uh, he, he found out who I was, and he was like, so you're a pastor? I was like, yeah. And, and he's like, cool, cool. And he's like, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't do the God thing. I was like, okay, that's cool. You know, and I, I don't know what he expected me to say, but I was still like, you know, hey, man, let's go hang out, you know. And so then he opened up a little more, and he said, well, my wife and kids like church. They like going to church, but we haven't been to church in a while. And I was like, yeah, awesome, man. I'm glad they go. Church is really good. And he was like, yeah, it's good for them, but not for me. I was like, okay. And every week, the conversation kept taking a little bit, another step, a little step. Because now he's saying like, hey, we're going to go to your church real soon. Like, I've got it down, 1030. I know where it is. We're coming to church. I'm bringing the family because they want to be there. I'm like, I got it, Ben. I got it. We'll see you soon. Spiritual conversations. What makes them spiritual conversations? God shows up in the conversation. And suddenly the conversation is a spiritual conversation. And I think the best Spiritual conversations really revolve, and watch, I, I haven't pushed him at all. It was his, he's the one who came to me and said, I think we're going to try your church. In fact, I wish he was here today. I was going to call him out and be like, I'm going to tell a story about you right now. <laughs> but I'm not pushy, but listen, maybe the way that I'm extending love to him makes him want to know the reason why. And I think the best spiritual conversations, they really revolve around story. And see, everybody's got a story. You have a story. They have a story. Stories are powerful. And whether people realize it or not, the story of God is interwoven into everybody's story. So it's easy to build spiritual conversation around somebody's story. And when we really, I think, try to begin to get to know our neighbors, whoever they might be, I think one of the best things we can do is ask them about their story. And I think there are some really good reasons for that. I just want to give you three of them right here. Number one, when you get to know somebody's story, it really helps you get to know them. See, we don't really know people until we know their story. You might think you know them, but until you know their story, you really don't. Have you ever been talking with somebody that you, you kind of knew in, a, in, in just a very kind of distant way for a long time, and then they actually open up and start to share their story, and you're shocked by what you hear? I mean, it's like, it's like, wow, I had no idea that was part of your story. We really don't know people until we get to know their story, so it helps us get to know them. I think another reason that we need to ask neighbors about their story is when you learn someone's story, it makes them feel valued. 
Let me ask you, do you feel more valued as a person when someone asks you about you or when they dominate the conversation telling you all about themselves? We value people when we ask them about them. And watch this. When people feel valued, it opens them up to us. And when they feel open to us, they begin to open up about the stuff that really matters to them. Remember that old saying that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's absolutely true. And nothing shows people we truly care about them than by taking time to learn their story and really get to know them as a person. I did this with someone just a few weeks ago. I went to lunch with one of my neighbors in the neighborhood that I didn't know real well. And the main reason for the lunch was simply so that I could get to know him a little bit. And as we sat there and talked at lunch, it shocked me how quickly he opened up to me about his past trauma, his addictions, his struggles, his fears and anxieties. And watch this. In only about 30 minutes of conversation, God was introduced into that conversation, which means the conversation became a spiritual conversation. And watch this. Spiritual conversations almost always lead to spiritual revelations. What does that mean? People will talk themselves into faith if you just give them an opportunity to do it. Look at the story of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He came to Jesus in the dark, had a bunch of questions. Who are you? I know there's something unique about you. What are you doing here? What's the purpose? Jesus began to talk to him, have a spiritual conversation with him. He told him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. The Bible is very clear in John chapter 3 because it says Nicodemus came to him in the dark, but he left in the light. There was a revelation that happened after a conversation. And that's what happens with all of us. Spiritual conversations lead to spiritual revelations. Let me give you a third reason. It really pays off to learn somebody's story. It pays off because learning someone's story opens the door for you to share your story. And guess who the star of your story is? If you're a Christian, it's a man by the name of Jesus When you share your story, you get an opportunity to now share about the impact that Jesus has made in your life, how his love found you right where you were, and it changed you, how he gave you hope in a hopeless situation, how he he healed you, how he set you free from your past. We call this part of our story our testimony. And while there is power in story, you need to know there is great power in testimony. Because when you begin to share with others the impact that Jesus has made in your life, listen, the Holy Spirit begins to go to work through your words, and he can do amazing things in somebody's heart by you simply walking into their life and sharing your story. That's one of the reasons. I love baptism Sundays, man. I love them. And one of the reasons I love them is because we take time to let people give a testimony of their faith in Jesus Christ, how they came to faith, what he's done in their life. I love that. We do it with every baptism. By the way, if baptism is your next spiritual step, if you've made a decision in your heart to make Jesus the Lord of your life and you're saying, you know, I want to be baptized, I want to go public with this thing, we're doing a baptism service on October 22nd. You can sign up online on on our website at lifechapel.co or through the app. I'd love to baptize you in water as the scripture tells us we should when we've made that decision to make Jesus the Lord of our life. It's the next step you need to take. But I love baptism testimonies. There was an Easter a few years ago. We were still at the high school, and we did, a, we did baptisms on Easter Sunday. And I'll never forget, I've never seen so many hands go up for salvation at the end of the service. And I figured out what it was. It wasn't that I preached the greatest message I've ever preached in my life. 
It was those testimonies before we dunked them in the water. I looked up over that crowd and I saw people I'd never seen before with tears streaming down their face. What is that? That is the Holy Spirit working through testimony. And he's telling them, if I did it for them, I'll do it for you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Hey, let's let the Holy Spirit do what he does. Amen? We don't have to convince anybody. Jesus told us to be witnesses. You're just a guy with a story. You're just a girl with a story. The Holy Spirit draws people. Here's another thing about spiritual conversations I want to give you. When we have them with people, especially who are unchurched or who are living far from God, spiritual conversations typically create an opportunity for us to extend some kind of invitation. An invitation to what? To a next step, whatever that might be. It might be an invitation to another spiritual conversation. Hey, I really enjoyed talking to you. Let's do this again. Let's grab coffee next week. You take it a little bit further. It might be an invitation for you to invite them to come and hang out in your life group. And that just increases the spiritual impact as long as the people in your life group are spiritual. Uh, I thought you would laugh there, but that's okay. (laughs) Everybody's life group is spiritual, I know. But it increases the spiritual impact because they're around other believers. It's powerful. It might create an opportunity for you to invite them right then and there to put their faith in Jesus Christ and make him the Lord of their life. Listen, I just want to encourage you. You can do that. That seems like I, I could never do that. Yes, you can. It's not as scary as you think it is. It's pretty easy, especially after you've had a spiritual conversation and they know that you love them. You just tell them, hey, I think this is the next step for you. Make Jesus the Lord of your life and let's see what happens. Let's see how he changes you. If that's intimidating for you, I want, I, I want to just give you something real quick. I don't think I've ever given this to you guys that, that will help. It's called the ABCs of salvation. And this is, you, you can just remember these, right? And if somebody's ready... And you know they're ready, just say, I can lead you in a prayer. And it's just three simple steps. One is admit you've sinned and you need a Savior. Two is believe in Jesus, who he is, what he came to do, the work of the cross. Just believe him, that he can save you from your sins. And three is confess that he is Lord. The Bible says, whoever believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth that Jesus is is Lord shall be saved. It's that simple. You can do it. You can lead people to Jesus if that's the next step for them. A spiritual conversation you have with someone might lead to an invitation uh, to make Jesus the Lord of their life. Or, listen, it could lead to an invite to come to church with you where they can feel the power and the presence of God just like we experience here today. Who felt the presence of God in worship today? I know I did. God, is, God was moving. He's still moving in this moment. And so when you invite people to come to church with you, you're inviting them to have an encounter with God. They're going to feel his presence. They're going to feel his power. And it's hard for people to argue with that. Spiritual conversations often lead to open invitations. And that was the case for my favorite Family Matters episode of all time. In it, the Winslow family, they're getting ready for church. And it's really funny, on a Sunday morning, everybody's running late. And this, again, why I love Carl. He's at the bottom of the stairs, and he is screaming at them, we are late for church. We, I mean, that is me. I do that practically every week. I'm like, we have to go now. Get, you know, that's just how it goes. I mean, people know, but it's all right. So Carl's screaming at them. <laughs> and And while he's screaming at them and they're getting ready, Steve Urkel comes walking in, uninvited like normal, and the family's getting ready. The only one who's ready to go is Estelle, and she's sitting in the living room. And Steve just sits down, and he's like, what are you guys up to? And she says, we're getting ready to go to church. 
And then Estelle engages her in a spiritual conversation. What makes it spiritual? God came up. So Estelle's just talking to him about God and his relationship with God. And she finds out that he doesn't go to church. And she asks him why. And Steve gives her a whole list of reasons why they don't go to church. But the main reason he tells her is because his parents are atheists. But in the conversation, as they're talking, Steve indicates that he's open to finding out more about God. And he would actually love to go to church if someone would invite him. So Estelle does it. She says, well, why don't you go to church with us this morning? So he accepts that invitation and everything changes from there. And I'm going to tell you, it is really shocking to me in this day and age that just, what, 30 years ago, they actually showed this on TV. They showed a spiritual conversation. They talked about the importance of having a relationship with God. And when Steve goes to church with the Winslow family, watch this, he is so impacted by the presence of God and the love he feels in that service that he gets saved in the service. And they showed it on ABC. They showed him raising his hand and making a confession of faith in Christ. It was really powerful. But then it's my favorite part because at the end of the service, they actually invite Steve to come up on the stage and sing with the choir. I want you to look at this clip. I love this thing. That clip still gets me, man. Isn't that awesome? And if you know me, you know that's how I like to have church. I can get down on some of that right there. We need to have a gospel Sunday. Come on. Woo. Feel that. (laughs) I love that clip, though. And let me ask you, did you hear the words to that song they were singing? Take a look at yourself, and you might look at others differently. That's what I'm talking about this morning, church. The day you realize that your story is not just about you is the day you step into your calling and purpose in life. It's the day you you step into what God has called you to do. The reason you're here, here and now, is the day you step into your calling. We're here to make a difference. We're here to elevate others and make them the star of their story. I'm giving you practical ways you can do that today. I think the first one is we just choose to love people where they are. Come on, that's not too hard, right? Secondly, we can help guide people to Jesus through spiritual conversations. Here's the last one. I think we can elevate others by meeting their needs in practical ways. Meeting their needs in practical ways. How awful would it be to tell somebody that 
They can have a cup of cold water, but not offer it to them if you've got access to it. In Luke chapter 10, verse 29, a Pharisee asked Jesus, he said, who is my neighbor? Remember, they're trying to trip him up. They're trying to test him. He wanted to know, to what extent do I do this loving my neighbor thing? How far does this go, Jesus? Who all does this apply to, really? Jesus answered his question by telling him a parable about a guy called the Good Samaritan. And the parable demonstrates what a good neighbor is supposed to do. And in the story, the Good Samaritan's walking down the road and he finds a man who has been beaten and robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. And Jesus told us people had come by before and left him there. But the reason this guy is a good Samaritan is because he did not leave him there to die like the others had. He picked him up. He took care of him. And watch this. He gave him what he needed to be healed and restored. And according to Jesus, that's what loving our neighbors really looks like. It's offering help to them in both spiritual and practical ways. I think Jesus answered that question of who is our neighbor even further. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, when he said to his disciples, and all of those who choose to believe on him, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You want to know how far this extends to? You want to know how far you, you can go to elevate others? Jesus said it's to the whole world. Your neighbor is your physical neighbor, yes. It's the person who lives next to you, down the street from you, absolutely. But listen, it's also the person you don't know that you find yourself standing next to in line at Starbucks. I hate to say this, but it's also the person driving next to you on the road. That's your neighbor. You're supposed to love them. It's the homeless man whose life is completely falling apart. It's the, singles, it's the single mom who's doing everything she can to get back on her feet and provide for her kids. They're all our neighbors, church. And on top of that, it's the people you'll never see. You'll never meet them all over the world. There are people all over the world whose daily reality is just as Jesus described it in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, when he said they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. People who are in need of compassion. People who need, to, who need to know the love of God through the kindness of a caring neighbor. My friend uh, Tony Miller and his family are here uh, today. Tony works with an organization called One Child. And what One Child does is they help orphans all over the world. Kids who have no place to call home. Kids that have no place to go. When one child finds out, finds out about these kids. They step in and they provide for them. They do that through child sponsorships. It's an incredible ministry. And we were having lunch a few months ago. We were just talking about what God was doing in both of our lives. And he began to tell me about the circumstances around countless numbers of children living in the Philippines right now. It's a country that's lit, uh, riddled with um, uh, crime and poverty and he was telling me how easy it is for traffickers to step in and take these kids off the street and put them into child sex slavery. And then the next thing he told me really broke my heart because he told me that some of these kids are abused in their own home by parents and caregivers who are so desperate to make money that they'll do anything, including selling their own children to pornographers. And as he was telling me about this church, I, my heart just began to break over this. I asked him what one child was doing to help in this situation. He told me a little bit about it. 
And I've actually got a video that I want you uh, to watch today that t- tells you a little bit about what these kids are going through and what one child is doing to help them. Check, check out this video. In the Philippines, um, traditional trafficking are minors who are working in a bar as dancers or sex providers. But nowadays, it's not rampant anymore. We have lost already that no minors in those kind of places. So then, OSEC entered, online sexual exploitation entered. I was 12 years old when I came to the ranch. I don't have any hopes or dreams. When I am down, when I am in my mind that think about I'm not belong here, I, I realized that maybe this place is a very useful for me because I'm thinking for my family. When I get home, maybe I'm, I'm do it again the thing that I don't want to... I read some story there that just like a bird falling down because his wings is broken. Uh, the bird thinks that the man who hold is to harm him, to harm the bird again. But that's a reality because we meet someone, we think that he will harm us, the stranger, but some are to help us to bring back to life. In the ranch, they provide us the shelter and the meals, and also we have our schooling there. We have a illness or we getting sick. Um, we have a clinic and a beautiful nurses and the livelihood for for making jewelries and to train our skills. I have a peer counselor. She's always remind me that you are in a purpose. You are not alone. I came to know God at the ranch and I start to dream again to ask God the vision, His plan for me. That's why they call me I'm a I'm a smiling girl. Come on, church, help me welcome Tony Miller to the stage today. 
so Tony, when we spoke about this, you know, it, my heart just broke for these kids and it still breaks for them. And I told you we wanted to do something to help. And um, I was just like immediately like, yes, this is, this is what we, we've got to get involved in this. So tell us how we can do that. How can we help? Yeah. Um, first, Brian, thanks so much for having me here. And I don't know about you, but I, I've watched that video multiple times and it wrecks me still every single time. And, um, you know, the thing about uh, extreme poverty is um, it, it, it really has more an effect than just the, the issues of poverty, you know, lack of food, water, but it, it drives people, as you can see, to unspeakable things. And um, yeah. at One Child, we kind of have this, this crazy dream to eradicate extreme poverty. And I'm just going to share a couple of statistics with you. Back in 1990s, obviously, strangely enough, talking about the 90s thing, that um, it was estimated that 1.9 billion people were affected by extreme poverty. That's those living on less than $2 a day, $1.90 a day. Today, the World Bank estimates that just over 700 million are affected by extreme poverty. If you do the math real quick, if you can't do the math, I'll do it for you. In just over 30 years, organizations like us and us have helped reduce extreme poverty by over 60%. Wow. It's incredible. So we have this crazy dream to see extreme poverty eradicated in our lifetime. And we're looking for partners, church partners, who say we want to step up and be a part of that. So I'm grateful that, uh, that Brian, you said, let's do this. And so, and so we're going to step in and talk about that a little bit today and, and what is provided when you sponsor a child. Now, here's the thing with um, a couple of things. Um, the Happy Horizons Ranch, you cannot sponsor children from that ranch because their identity needs to be pr protected. They've been um, online um, exploitation sexually, those children have, and, and one of the saddest things is the youngest child to come to that ranch was three years old. Oh it's horrible. Um, absolutely horrible. And, but we, have, we partner with churches here in the U.S. to partner with churches um, all around the world. One of those places is the Philippines. And we have hope centers that are always attached to those churches. And through child sponsorship at those hope, hope centers, those children receive, as, as you heard from um, Yan Yan's story, they receive um, health, which is medical checkups and nutrition. They receive education. They receive community because they come together at that Hope Center, at that church. And most importantly, they receive the hope and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we believe that if, if, if these children can get through the program, they can get to the equivalent of a graduating high school degree with Jesus Christ in their heart, their, their opportunity to pull themselves out of extreme poverty exponentially changes. It's huge. And that is what we do through child sponsorship and through these partnerships. And, and Pastor Brian said, let's, let's focus on the Philippines. Let's focus on that area because that, that is worth the sacrifice, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I was just blown away by, by the stories of what you guys are doing there in the Philippines. And um, so 
we can really help through child sponsorship. So tell us what the next step would be. If somebody wants to help, somebody says, man, I, I want to get involved with this. What is the next step? Yes, yeah, so we have, we have these profiles um, out there in the, in the welcome area. And um, like this here is Kyla. She is, she's 11 years old, and she's at one of our Hope Centers in the Philippines. And has some information about, about her here. And, and again, explains those four things that they receive when you sponsor a child. Um, and then it has a little form right here that you can fill out to sponsor the child. Um, but here's the deal with, with that. If you, if you are thinking about or want to sponsor a child, um, you cannot take the form, you cannot take this profile with you unless you fill out the form. And you tear this off and you give it to us. Because if you take the form, um, this whole profile, without filling it out, it's kind of like kidnapping a child. And we can't let you do that. And as you know, Brian played football, so he'll tackle you. Um, so that's how that's – and I don't think you – I don't want to be tackled by Brian. I don't know. So, so you can't do that. But it's $39 a month to sponsor a child. And, again, they receive those four things. But here's the thing about it. When you sponsor a child in that area, in the Philippines, and anywhere in there, you're actually doing the preventative work from them being involved in online um, sexual exploitation. You're actually helping prevent that from ever happening. And the rescue at Happy Horizons Ranch is extremely important, but the preventative work, that is the work that really needs to be done, right? Because it keeps them out of it. Um, you can also, there's an option as well, um, to, to um, add an extra $6 a month to kind of stand in the gap for those children who are not being sponsored right now. Because we have, we have thousands of children that um, we are working to get sponsored all over the world. So you can also select that option at $45 a month. And, and a little clarity on some things as well is not, not all these children are orphans. Some are. A, a lot of them at the Happy Horizons Ranch are because their parents have been thrown in jail mm -hmm. for life essentially. And so those children that come to the ranch are, are essentially orphaned. But these children are, are not necessarily orphaned. Um, some of them still live with both parents, but they, they live in an extreme poverty situation where the parents are just struggling to make ends meet. And in some places in the Philippines, um, the government doesn't even really recognize them as citizens, so they don't get any government help or anything like that at all. I mean, it's it's terrible situation. Um, where there's extreme poverty, but some of them live with a, a different family member. Some of them live with a single parent because of um, the situation that they're in. But uh, but when you're sponsoring one of those children, as you heard in Yan Yan's story, you're providing hope. You're providing hope, and not just the hope of the gospel, but a hope because they don't they don't have dreams when they live in extreme poverty. Poverty poverty speaks to them and says you don't matter. You're not, you're not going to make it, and you're not worth it. But when you sponsor a child, you're saying, you do matter. I care about you, and you can have hope, and you can begin to dream again. So, so that's what we're, we're about and what we want to see happen. And awesome. so excited about this. Yeah, yeah, man, I'm excited to partner with you. I, I'm just I'm excited for the opportunity to get involved with this. I, I think it's God's heart for the world. Um, and if you want to be a part of this, Tony's actually set up. He's got a, a table in the community room as you're walking out today. Just stop by the table and uh, uh, check out the kids that, um, that we have an opportunity to help. And yeah. Tony can give you more information if you have any questions. Do you have anything else? I've got one more thing to yeah. add. I, th I think we talked about this, but maybe not. But um, a as a community here who are sponsoring these children, 
we can also facilitate one day down the road for a trip. Let's go. Come and on. so for you guys to go visit the children that you sponsor, and you can actually even go visit the Happy Horizons Ranch wow. as well. Wow. So, um, so if that's something that, that you guys are interested as a church in doing together, we can help facilitate that as well. That's incredible, yeah. man. Hey, let's give Tony a hand. Yeah. We appreciate you, man. Thanks, Thanks for being here. Yeah. Stand with me. So get ready to close today. I just, you know, church as Christians, we have a clear mandate in Scripture to love our neighbors, the neighbors we see, the neighbors we may not see. But we also have a mandate given to us in James chapter 1, verse 27. And listen, it is to care for the orphans and the widows. God's Word said this is what true religion is. It's caring for, the orf- caring for those that can't care for themselves. Caring for the hopeless, giving them hope. That's God's heart for his church, that we would become his hands and feet in real practical ways. And what's in front of you right now through child sponsorships with One Child is a way that you can practically help somebody and bring hope to their life. And so what I want to ask you to do today, in fact, if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes with me, I just want you to prayerfully consider sponsoring a child today. I don't know about you, but I want to help organizations that are putting an end to evil in our world. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that mission. We can pray for them, yes, and we should. There's also right here in front of us a real tangible way to make a difference. I want to give you one more scripture before we pray. It's Matthew chapter 25, verse 40. Jesus said, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these, you did it for me. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your presence that's in this place right now. I thank you for your word that's gone forth, Lord. I feel like it's gone forth in power and the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I feel you moving and working in this place right now. And Lord, I just pray that you would speak to people's hearts right now, Lord. God, that you would show us what you want us to do. Lord, speak to us. Minister to our needs today, yes, but Lord, also help us to see how we can minister to others, how we can be your hands and feet, Lord. Speak to your people today. We're listening, God. Our hearts are open to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys know that I I don't ever put pressure on you at all, but all I'm going to ask you to do today is be obedient to whatever the Lord is saying. If he's telling you to get involved in this, then do it. You might be worried about your finances. I, I, I know we are. I, I've been transparent about that in, in a few series ago when we were talking about budgeting and money and all that stuff and just the reality of where we are financially. But I'm telling you, as a family, we're going to sponsor one of these kids because I feel like God is calling us to do this. And what I know is that God will provide a way. And l- seriously, while I was praying for this service, I felt like God just... He wanted to remind you that when you give sacrificially, you cannot outgive God. You can't do it. If it's a sacrifice for you, I would challenge you to give to this and watch how God will pour it back into your life with so many blessings, more than just financial blessings, just so much grace in your life. Just be obedient today to what the Lord is saying. Uh, Mark and the team are going to lead us in a song today and As we sing in worship to this song, I just want you to really get in tune with what the Lord is saying for you to do today in response to this message.